Last week in uh, <clears throat> Acts chapter 3, we identified, I think we identified, with all three characters in the life of the story. The, uh, the lame man who had, um, had been born lame and then being restored to full physical health. Initially, he was helped up by Peter. He jumps to his feet. He began to walk. He'd never walked before. And he begins to walk. How exhilarating, how exciting, invigorating, spine-tingling even for this man. Adrenaline charged, he went into the temple courts with Peter and John. It says he was walking and jumping and praising the Lord. And he'd have to be, wouldn't he? Never having walked before. Walking and jumping and praising God. You can just imagine the the excitement. They're praising God. And the crowd, the crowd gathers around. The crowd wants to know what's all this noise, what's going on. And then they recognise that this fellow was the fellow who was lame outside the temple gates. This is the same fellow. How could this be? How could this have possibly happened? Have you, have you ever had a problem and you just don't know how to solve it? Not long after Kylie and I were married, a good mate of mine gave me a, an old lawnmower and he used to use it on his farm. I bought a new one and so he just gave me his old lawnmower. We were now living in town and I was having all kinds of trouble getting this thing started. He dropped around one day and I told him of my woes. This lawnmower that he said never had any trouble, would always go, first pop. And so I told him of my woes. We went out to the shed and as soon as he saw it, he says, where's the wheat bag? What? Where's the wheat bag? He said, keep a wheat bag over the motor and it'll start first pop. It keeps the moisture out of the mower, out of the motor. So I did that from that time on and I never had any trouble starting that lawnmower. (laughs) Way to go. Unbelievable. When I passed that mower on to somebody else, I gave them the good oil. Now, keep a a wheat bag over that motor when you're not using it. Now, of course, a disabled man isn't the same as a lifeless lawnmower. And the healing power of Jesus isn't the same as some simple little trick to keep the moisture out of the mower, out of the motor. But the underlying principle is still the same. Trusting someone who knows and trusting someone who can do something about it, who has the power to make things happen. Peter and John, they're surrounded by a crowd and they're able to point straight to Jesus. Jesus is the one who knows and Jesus is the one who is able to do something about it, who is able to make things happen for good and make things happen for the glory of God.
And so Peter is quick to deflect the attention away from himself and John back to God, back to the God that they worship, back to the God that all of these people were worshipping, back to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And that was a term that all of those who were there in the temple would have used of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And they knew very well that the first time that God ever used this term of himself was when he called Moses to leave the desert to go back to Egypt and to set his captive people free. Peter declares that God is still in the business of setting captive people free. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus, he says in verse 13 of chapter 3. God is still in the business of setting captives free. He'd set this lame man free. And his result, the result is that he goes into that temple, he's praising God. He didn't just waddle off down to the pub I didn't have a pub, but you know what I mean. He went into the temple, he's praising God. And Peter knows that some of the people who have gathered around in the temple, they're also feeling very captive. They're feeling captive for they, they, some of them, were the very same people who had cried out that Jesus be crucified. Some of these people in the temple had cried out, crucify him. And they were captive in their shame and their guilt and their worship through a religion that had kept them alienated from God. They were captive. Now, how would you respond if you came face to face with the very ones who had caused you such grief and loss? They, along with the Roman soldiers, were responsible for Jesus' flogging and his death. But something has happened for Peter. Peter no longer rips out his little hand sword, ready to defend himself. He trusts the one that he knows, and the one that he knows is able to do something about it, able to help, able to do something for good and for God's glory. And he makes his appeal to these people that they too can put their trust in the one who is trustworthy, who is faithful, who is working all things together for good. If you've been sceptical of God, perhaps even antagonistic toward God, not understanding God or his ways, then I trust that you're beginning to learn that he can be trusted, that he can make things happen, that leads to an abundant life of goodness, to a fruitful and peace-filled life, to eternal life. I trust that you're starting to understand that's who our God is. So how does Peter respond? Listen to these words, his words from verse 17, chapter 3. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all of the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer 
Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Peter holds no resentment toward these same people who were responsible for Jesus' death. You know, it's very similar to the words that Joseph said to his brothers. You intended this for evil, but God turned it around and used it for good. Peter's response is due to the fact that he had himself wept bitterly at his own betrayal of Jesus, his own denial of Jesus. He wept bitterly. I'd let Jesus down. And yet he had received a glorious blessing of forgiveness from Jesus. Glorious blessing of forgiveness. His desire, you know, when you're reading these passages, you you might think he's trying to rub their noses in it. Well, no, that's not what he's on about. He wants to let them know that no sin is too great to be forgiven. Just as I've been forgiven. Your sin is not too great to be forgiven. Those who had opposed Jesus, rejected Jesus, sent him to his death could discover God's forgiveness. Nothing that they had done or said was too big for God to forgive. His love is greater by far. Nothing that you have done is too great for God to forgive. His love is greater by far. But forgiveness is conditional upon repentance. You must turn away from that sin. No longer hold on to it with any sense of pride or guilt. Turn back to God and then your sin will be wiped out just as chalk is wiped off the blackboard. And then times of refreshing come from the Lord. You no longer live in shame and guilt, but the freedom of forgiveness in peace and in joy. Every day is a good day when you're walking with the Lord, when you're reconciled with him, when you are at peace with him. Then there are days of refreshing, the joy that Jared was talking about. Now, there were numerous other beggars on the steps leading to the temple gates that day when Peter came along, Peter and John came, and they healed this one particular man. And we are so grateful for that healing. We are excited for this fellow as he's healed. But somehow or other, we want justice. We want all of them to be healed, all of those others who were sitting on those steps as well. We want all of them to be healed. Our longing for justice can leave us confused, can leave us disappointed in God when he doesn't seem to come through. But we must always hold before us. We need to understand that we live in a sin-filled world. This is a tough world. Don't try and deny it. This is a tough world. This is a harsh world. This is an unforgiving world. This is a selfish world, a destructive world, where the forces of evil 
are hard at work. Trying to reduce our hope and our joy. This is a a harsh world where there is great injustice. We see it all the time. But in spite of this, whether we see justice or not, whether we receive healing or not, God is with us. And God can walk, we can walk with God through this life in days of refreshing, whether we have justice or healing or not. When we're truly walking with the Lord, then every day is a good day. I consider Paul sitting in prison, probably being whipped to a pulp, praising God, singing hymns. Scripture tells us that he had learnt to be content in all things. Every day is a good day when you're walking with the Lord, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of whether justice is met or healing comes the refreshing times the refreshing days in the lord's presence but there are still people who will oppose and reject you there are still people who oppose and reject jesus and so you and i can expect trouble from unbelievers as we seek to make jesus known acts chapter 4 the priests and the captain of the guard The temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, getting late in the day, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. And so the number of men who believed grew to around 5,000. The numbers of believers are growing. But in their recent history, in their recent days, there had been an uprising in Jerusalem. There was a possible leader of a group that was gaining such popularity that they executed him on a Roman cross. And the leaders of the system, Judaism, the religion, had felt that they had brought this to an end, this troubling group of radicals was now silenced. And so once again, now feeling under pressure, the priests, the captain of the guard and the Sadducees, greatly disturbed by what they see as false teaching. Was Peter and John, were they once again leading people away to follow a false god? And with so many who are now beginning to believe them, then their power base is being eroded. We no longer have the influence that we once had. You see, the real power lay with the Sadducees. Not the Pharisees, as we might think, but the real power in the, the system of Judaism lay with the Sadducees. They were predominantly the aristocrats. The aristocracy, they were the wealthy landowners and subsequently they were thought to be more intelligent. The high priest was usually a Sadducee and the Sadducees held greater power than the Pharisees within the overarching Sanhedrin. 
the Sadducees held all the power. They took their teaching from the first five books of the Old Testament and so they therefore rejected the resurrection. And so Peter and John spent the night in prison in verse 5. The next day the rulers, the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander and other members of the high priest family. They're all Sadducees. Annas was the ex-high priest. Caiaphas is the now ruling high priest, was the high priest when Jesus was executed. So this is all the, the heavies from the Sadducees. Verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them. They began to question them, by what power, by what name did you do this? And you might recall that they'd asked Jesus the same sorts of things. By what name? Beelzebub? Was it the devil that you've been doing these things? They're asking Peter and John, the same thing. You and I can expect trouble. Expect trouble. What we'd like to expect is peace. You and I can expect trouble. No one is exempt from trouble in this sin-filled world. And Christians should expect trouble. Jesus said that families would be torn apart because of him. Is that your situation in your family? That some members of your family don't want to talk to you anymore because you're a Christian. Families are torn apart because of Jesus. We'll be misunderstood, we'll be mistrusted. People will see our good deeds and assume that we have ulterior motives. They'll think that we're, we're deluded in our belief in, in God. And when we truthfully share that we do what we do because we love and serve God, they won't want to accept that. No, you've got some other motive. So expect trouble. Expect to be opposed and rejected just as Jesus was. When your family, if your family... if Non-Christians haven't started to reject you. It'll happen. Expect trouble. Our secular world of modernist thinking rejects the exclusive claims of Christ. A word of warning about those in leadership, and that might be you if you're leading any kind of a, a group, any kind of a Christian group of any description, if, if anybody who is in leadership of any group who feels threatened by the prospect of losing their position as the leader or losing their livelihood, as was the case here with the Sadducees, their power base is being eroded, we're, we're going to be in real trouble here. We're meant to be trusting God that he will continue to provide in one way or another. Those in Christian leadership need to hold on to things or leadership very loosely. But hold on to God real tight. Hold firmly onto the Lord. Remembering that this is God's work. This is God's work. By the way, I'm happy to leave whenever you want me to. (laughs) 
those in leadership can expect trouble. All Christians should expect trouble. But let's seek to be filled and go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. Then Peter, who's expecting or receiving trouble, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all of the people of Israel know this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Interestingly, we've sung about that this morning, the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The Sadducees go on to attempt to silence Peter and John to shut this movement down because they feel threatened by it. You can continue to read through the the chapter 4 to see how they try and quiet them down. Jesus is the stone that these builders had rejected. Yet he is the stone that holds all together in the new spiritual temple. He is the cornerstone. And so Peter's words still ring true today. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The word in the Greek for salvation is the same word that refers to being saved physically, emotionally, spiritually, The same word is used. There is no difference. Peter and John were looking to the one who could bring complete salvation. And we're encouraged to look to the one who knows, the one who can help, the one who can do something about it, the one who can solve your problem. You know, Jesus doesn't just fix a lawnmower. He fixes broken, lost, hurting, damaged people salvation is found in no one else i don't want you to rely on me as your pastor i don't want you to rely on any other person i want you to rely wholly and solely on god no one else he's the one who knows you he's the one who knows just what you need to hear from him to bring times of refreshing, to, to walk through those troubling times that we face, to walk with him in peace and in confidence. He is absolutely trustworthy. Salvation is found in no one else. And our sin problem is our primary problem. We can face physical problems if we're at peace with the Lord if we're reconciled with the Lord. We can face physical problems if we 
have peace with the Lord, but whilst we walk in spiritual darkness, then we live without hope, without joy, without peace. Are you confident that you are walking with the Lord? That the Lord is walking with you? I hope so. Praise God. You might feel that you need to recommit yourself to the Lord today. Maybe you feel you need to commit to the Lord for the first time. You've never done that before. And I want to encourage you to do that today. Do you want to know that you're forgiven? That you're reconciled with God? That you're accepted? That you're loved? That you are forgiven by God? Regardless of what you may have done or said, then turn to the one who knows and the one who can bring abundant life. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, again we thank you for your word and we thank you for this story that's not just a story but an actual event that took place. We thank you that although we do face troubling times, we face injustice. We face times where we may not receive healing from you and we'd long for that. But we thank you that in the midst of all of these troubling times, we can know and do know peace and joy, reconciled in our relationship with you. Father, thank you that salvation indeed is not found in anyone else but Jesus Christ and we thank you for the joy of our salvation and help us to take that with us and express that to those around about us help us not to be ashamed of of our our faith to expect trouble but at the same time to know the joy and peace in our heart that we we have as a result of these refreshing times with you And so we thank you as we commit ourselves to you afresh in Jesus' name. Amen.